For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 196. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, welcome to the show. Richard Ryerson here. As always, so appreciative that you're tuning into the show. I hope you're finding Dose of Leadership a great resource for you and your leadership journey, the place where we talk to aspirational and inspirational leaders, today's top thought leaders, all about the topic of leadership, and hopefully you can glean some information to help you become the leader that you were meant to become. And today I'm excited to have Drew Dudley on the show. I came across Drew Dudley on uh, TED Talk. I'm a huge uh, fan of TED, and uh, he has one of the best talks one of the most inspirational talks in leadership. It's so nice and uh, talks about what he calls the lollipop moments. And uh, You'll hear him talk about this in this conversation, but he gets it. He is the founder and chief catalyst of Nuanced Leadership Incorporated, and he works with organizations all around the world, empowering people to increase their leadership capacity. He's worked with McDonald's, Procter & Gamble, J.P. Morgan Chase, and tons of colleges and universities. And again, he's just one of those guys that truly gets it. And I think you really enjoy this conversation with Drew, particularly when he talks about fear and uncertainty. And I had an aha moment that you'll hear about in this conversation. Okay, so without further ado, here is Drew Dudley. Drew Dudley, welcome to Dose of Leadership. So glad you're here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I came across your stuff on TED, and of course, it's one of my favorite things to do is to watch TED Talks. And, you know, your message really resonated with me and what we talk about here in Dose of Leadership, kind of the that leadership is is for everybody. Bring us up to speed. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you got so passionate about leadership. You know, I got passionate about leadership because of the students that I work with. I was running the leadership development program at the University of Toronto up in Canada. And I was really shocked by how many of the most, like these really great young people, just continually diminish themselves. It was always, they kept using the word just, you know, I'm just a student, oh, I'm just starting out, I'm just trying to, I'm just, you know, I'm just learning this. So it was like every time I asked them a question, and I knew what these, these young people were capable of, they would start their answer with some diminishing comment, like, well, I don't really know for sure, or, well, this is just my opinion, but, and I started to realize that these were extraordinary young people who just were hesitant to step up and own the things that they believed in and the great things that they were doing. And, and so I started asking them straight up, like, are you a leader? And I kept hearing, well, I hope to be one day, or, you know, I'm working hard so that I can be. And yet these are people who are raising money for charity. They were organizing these amazing fundraisers or awareness campaigns, social justice campaigns. And I started to realize how few of these amazing young people who inspired me every day were willing to call themselves leaders. And I, I thought back to, you mentioned TED Talks, 
I loved TED Talks myself. I discovered Ken Robinson's. Uh, one of my students sent it to me. And I remember thinking how great they were, and I started working them into my, my, my workshops at the university. And one day, one of my students came busting in and said, hey, look, they're doing a TED event here in Toronto. You should do it. And I said, well, I'm, I'm just a part-time speaker. And the problem is that if you've told people they can't just for two years, and then you say it back to them, <laughs> they, uh, right, yeah. they jump all over it. And he said, hey, you, you never allow us to say just. You really need to, to apply to be a part of this. And when I was accepted, I didn't know what to talk about. They told me I had six minutes. And I called up a good friend of mine, and I said, hey, they, they want me to talk about, like, to give six minutes. I can't introduce myself in six minutes. What do I talk about? And he said, uh, tell, that, tell that story that you talk about that girl who gave you a lollipop one day, uh, or you gave a lollipop to one day, and, and she said it changed your life. And I said, oh, I can't tell that story. It's, it, this is Ted. It doesn't have enough gravitas. And he laughed, and he said, you've got to get over yourself, man. It's, uh, <laughs> that story matters to people. And if this is going to be the biggest audience you perhaps ever get, you have to tell it. And uh, so I went and I told a story about uh, a girl who came up to me my last day at university and told me that the first time I ever met her, I was trying to joke around and gave a lollipop to the guy next to her saying, hey, you should talk to the girl next to you. And uh, he was so embarrassed that he wouldn't even look at her. He held out this lollipop. And when she took it, I guess I joked, I, I said to her parents, look at that, it's her first day away from home, and she's already taking candy from a stranger. <laughs> And everybody laughed, and I, I don't even remember doing that. But she said, you know, I, uh, I was going to quit before you, you did that. And that silly moment when everyone was laughing changed my mind, and I'm going to graduate soon. And a year and a half later, the two of them invited me to their wedding. It turns out that she dated that guy from that moment onward. Wow. And that little story just, just caught people's attention, apparently, about this idea that we focus so much on these big, extraordinary moments in our lives of leadership. And maybe the biggest moment of leadership in my life was this moment I didn't even remember. And it was my students who, who pushed me to share stories like that, to remind them of the profound impact we can have, regardless of how old you are, or what your background is, or how educated you think you are. And it was my students who pushed me to share it widely. And, and that one little story took me from, from sharing that message within one university to doing it, you know, in over 30 countries now. So it's been, and when you do something that, that seems to impact other people, it's impossible not to get passionate about it. I think yeah. that's, a, that's a big part of it. I get passionate about sharing this idea of leadership because when I share it, people seem to care, and they seem to get motivated to continue to do the amazing things they're already doing and not giving themselves credit for it. And so when you start sharing something that, that people come up and tell you that it matters to them, you feel really driven to keep doing it. Yeah, I want to drive home that point because what's so beautiful about that story is that you know, all these great kind of chain of events happen, these life-altering events. You know, this, she was at registration with her parents, didn't know if she could make it through university. You know, and here she was, and she's, I, I can't do this. You know, standing in line, and you came across, and you handed her that, loll or that lollipop and kind of joked with the, the guy next to her. And they ended up getting married, inviting you to the wedding. The key thing, and you, you said this, but I don't want to gloss over it, is like you have no recollection of doing that, which I, this is the, no. impor the important point. Is like we without even trying, somebody right now, somebody right now, everybody listening and you and I, someone right now is looking 
to us for leadership. Somebody is, whether we know it or not or whether we like it or not. And we have so much more influence than we give ourselves credit for. And so think about if we became intentional about influencing how different life could be. I think that's the key point. That's my key takeaway from your lollipop story. Yeah, and that's actually the key thing. Because uh, for a long time, I just shared, I shared that story and said to people, look at the impact we have when we're not paying attention. Right. That has quickly, well, I guess not quickly, but it has evolved into me exactly what you just said, which is, what if we were more deliberate about it? And I started to realize that there's these, like, we call them random acts of kindness. And my argument is that I think leadership is making sure that they're not random anymore. Right. One of the favorite things, let me, let me pose you this question, if you don't mind uh, me turning the tables a little bit. Like, if someone followed you around for three weeks of your life, and you didn't know they were following you, and at the end of those three weeks, I sat that person down, and I said, okay, you followed this man around for three weeks of his life, and she's seen every interaction you're a part of, public and private, online, uh, people you, you love, people you can't stand, people you just meet for a few minutes serving you coffee. She sees it all. But that's, that's it. Like, you don't know she's following you, so you can't adjust your behavior. If someone followed you around for three weeks of your life when that was the case, if I sat them down at the end and said, all right, you follow the man around, what are the three fundamental values that he stands for above all others in his life? Like, what three values do you hope that person says about you? Can I pose you that question? I, I love asking people that. Like, if someone followed you around for three weeks, and anyone who's listening, I, I, I ask you the same thing. At the end of those three weeks, if someone sat someone down who had followed you around and said, what are the three most important values to this person? And all they had to base their answer on is how you behaved for three random weeks of your life. What three values do you hope that person says about you? Wow. I mean, what a great question. I think, you know, it's even kind of scary to think about it, really, if someone was watching you for three weeks, right? I mean, I would think, I would hope people would say I was a great listener, um, I was curious and caring, and um, I think that, uh, I think compassionate. I think that that's what I hope people would say about me. Compassionate, inquisitive, well, and listening. Yeah. Compassionate what? Compassionate, inquisitive, and a great listener. Oh, I like that. So let me let me give you this one. Imagine someone walked up to you and said, look, I've, I've never heard the word compassionate before. It's not in my language. Uh, what, could you explain that to me in the simplest terms possible? What would you say compassionate actually means? I think it's it's being able to have the emotional intelligence to be empathetic enough to, to see their perspective, whether if you disagree or agree with them, whatever the case may be, is trying to understand what it's like to walk in their shoes. I think that's what it means. Okay, what does inquisitive mean? Inquisitive means is never, you know, never accepting things necessarily, two things, necessarily accepting things at face value, always ask why to, to try to, to figure out, is this aligned with your purpose, with your with your your vision of who you want to be, but also just trying to um, be open to new discoveries because there's so much life to be, um, there's so much life to be uh, lived out and enjoyed. It's not, you know, the way that you've been doing it may not necessarily be the only way or the right way. Yeah, and it, it, I asked that question because I got stumped on it. I, I had a girl walk up at the end of one of my lectures and say, look, you know, I'm an international student. Where I'm from, we were taught leadership was about titles. It was about how smart you were. It was about how much money you make. And after listening to you, I think leadership means something different in Canadian. And uh, <laughs> she said, can you explain what leadership means to me in, in the simplest terms possible? And it's one of those moments where 
you're certain you know the answer to a question until someone actually asks you the question. Right. And you have this moment where you realize, I don't have a good answer for that. And I choked on that question. And I was really upset because leadership was in my job title, right? And I wanted to, I wanted to stand for leadership as a fundamental value in everything I did. And then this girl asked me the most basic question. Well, just explain it to me, like what it means to you in the simplest terms possible. Right. And I, I didn't have an answer for her. And I started to realize that we, I, I bet you everybody listening, if you give them enough time, they could come up with three values that are important to them. I hear things like compassion, integrity, honesty, trust, friendship, family. But then we use these words a lot. And I went home that night and I tried, I made a list of maybe 35 of them. And for every one I wrote down, every time I wrote down compassionate or open or accountable, I then imagined that girl walking up to me and saying, I've never heard the word before. Could you explain it to me? And I realized I'd spent, you know, I was 28 years old at the time. I'd spent, you know, two and a half decades of my life evaluating myself as a person, how I felt about myself. And I, I judged other people as well by how well they lived up to these words. And yet I never actually sat down and said, okay, what does compassion mean? What does integrity mean? What does leadership mean? And I think that if we never define these goals for ourselves, we're never going to feel as if we've reached them. So you say you, you want to you wanna be a compassionate person, and I bet how you feel about yourself and how your listeners feel about themselves, whether they're aware of it or not, they spend a lot of, they, their feelings about themselves as a person are tied up in how well they're living up to being someone of integrity and compassion. Correct. But if you've never defined what those words mean, you'll always feel like you're not living up to them. Like you could want to embody compassion every day of your life, right? right? But if you've never defined what it means, if you've never made it into a goal, that you know when you hit it, you could be embodying compassion every day of your life, and I bet you that we we never give ourselves permission to celebrate that fact. And you know, it's the celebrations in our lives that drive us forward and give us momentum and give us pride and and give us strength in the difficult times. It's the celebrations that do that, and, and I think setting goals are planning celebrations. So we set goals for our careers, and we set goals for our financial lives. I think that leadership is, in a large part making sure we spend just as much time setting goals for our character as we do for our financial lives and our careers. And so for me, those lollipop moments, I call them, those moments where you do something that fundamentally changes other people's lives, those are amazing, and I want people to recognize how capable we are of doing them. But that's only step one. Step two is I want them to start planning to do them. Because let me ask you this. I love asking this question as well. I'm sorry to keep putting you on the spot, my friend. It's okay. It's good. Like, what, what, why do you matter? You know, it's a, it's a difficult question. I think, you know, I would say even the show has helped me so much with that question. If you had asked that me two years ago and, and having two years of talking to people like yourself and having this PhD of leadership, I think for me now, I would answer the question, I matter to add value to other people's lives that it's not about me. But I think if you would ask me that a couple of years ago or even 10 years ago, I was like you. Um, I said, yeah, this is who I want to be, but I didn't put any intentional thought to what it meant to be those things. So to me, I think now why I matter is because the purpose is I need to add value to other people's lives, whatever that value may be. Um, which is amazing because I the idea of adding value is is so important because you know we're not all born with the same ability to read to write to do math 
you know, to write essays. And for the first 20 years of a lot of people's lives, that's how we're evaluated exactly. and how we evaluate ourselves. Exactly. But I do think that we're all born with the same capacity to add value. I've always, I've always, you know, as someone who spent so much time in the education system, I've always wondered how would things change if we, if we rewarded kids who added value to each other's lives at the same level that we did kids who could get straight A's, I think that we would create much more access to rewards for many, many more people. Because when I ask that question, why do you matter to people of all ages, most people can't answer it. Uh, Right. And and they can't. And so what I've come to believe is that most people hope to matter and most people hope to lead. And I, a lot of my work is focused on saying to people, we can't, hope is an amazingly powerful thing, and we should foster hope in our lives and the lives of everyone we touch, but it's, hope's not a good strategy. No. And if you want to lead and if you want to matter, you have to plan to do it. And so what I often do, how I try to take this idea of saying, look, we can have tremendous impact in moments that may not get a lot of fanfare, I want people to actually plan for those moments. Right. So if you, what I ask people to do is I, I say, I came across some research that said people are far more likely to commit to answering a question or to answering a challenge than they are to living up to a statement. So you are more likely to commit to a question than you are to say, okay, be a person of compassion today, because that's a very broad thing, Right. And it's so yeah, it's, it's what hard, question, hard. if you asked it every day and answered it every day, would you would make sure that you lived compassion every day? So that's the challenge. For me, you know, I sat down and, and said, okay, I want to be a person of impact. And impact to me means creating moments where people walk away feeling as if they are better off having interacted with you. Yeah, that's, that's how I define impact. That's how I'd explain it to someone who came up to me and said, I've never heard the word before. And instead of every day saying, oh, I, I want to be a person of impact, which is a relatively nebulous concept, what I did is I created a question that's tied to that definition. So every day I ask myself, what have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership? Because my belief is that if you ask and answer that question every day, you will have been, 90% of the time, you will have created impact. Because it's hard to answer that question and not, not live up to it and not have created an impact on another person. So what I encourage people to do is these moments of leadership that we recognize that all of us have the capacity to make tremendous impact on people's lives or to infuse compassion to the world or to be honest. But instead of just doing it whenever we're given the opportunity, I think we should create opportunities to do it. And for me, it's about identifying the key values, then defining what they actually need, sometimes for the first time in our lives, and then creating a question that's tied to each value. And I do six every day. You know, what have I done today to recognize someone else's leadership? What have I done today to make it more likely that someone will learn something? What did I try today that I thought probably would work but tried anyway? What have I done today to make it more likely that someone will learn something? Uh, And, you know, what have I done today to be good to myself? These are all questions that I ask myself every day, knowing that those particular questions drive specific actions. And actions are what deliver the outcomes. You want to be a person of compassion, you have to do compassionate things every day, and not just when you're given the opportunity. So for me, it's really about letting everyone know that leadership is about making a plan to live up to the things that you claim to stand for every day. 
And I think that too often we, one, we don't know what they are, which means we're chasing goals that we'll never reach because we haven't defined them. Right. And then even if we define them, we kind of hope to stumble into them as opposed to creating a specific action plan every day to live them. Yeah. And to me, it's changed my life. Just instead of, uh, of trying to be an honest person, I have a specific question I ask every day that means I'm infusing honesty into my life. I have a plan for it. It's changed everything for me. Yeah, I love that. You know, and I would probably say I'm, I'm, I've gone down that path you know you've asked me some of these questions and and again so much has happened for me changed for me in the last five two to five years particularly in it in what you and it's everything you're talking about there is about being intentional about that asking yourself those questions i think it, it's and it's just like you when you came across those students and i've been shocked too and I've, I've been shocked at myself if there's any lesson i've learned from doing this show and talking to people like yourself, like so many of us, almost every one of us deals with a kind of negative self-talk or a negative self-worth, no matter how confident we are or accomplished we are. I've talked to some extremely accomplished people who still struggle on a day-to-day basis with negative self-talk and negative self-worth. What is your take on that? Why do we Why do we do that? I mean, what you're doing, and I agree with you, the, the, the key to get out of it is, is what you're talking about, I think, is asking yourself those questions, defining those values. But why do you think so many of us are kind of stuck in that kind of negative kind of image? I think, uh, one, I don't try to get out of it. Uh, what I try to do is accept that it, it's going to be there. Oh, I like so, that. I mean, there's lots of research that says the negative has a significantly more lasting impact on us than the positive whether it's the fact that you have to hear eight positive comments to make up for one negative one, I think is the, the data that I saw. So I've accepted the fact that there's going to be negativity in my world. The problem was before I asked these questions, I, I didn't have a counterbalance. So I write down my answers to these questions every day. And when I start to hear that voice that says, you're not a good guy, or you're a screw-up, or you, you, you messed that up, I can actually open up a, a notebook and be reminded that, yeah, maybe I did make a mistake here. Maybe I did not live up to who I want to be. But that's not the norm for me. It's actually the exception. And for every one of those things that I did that I'm talking myself down for, I can, I can actually see, you know, 15 positive things that I planned that I've dismissed in the face of that one negative thing. I also think it's wise to remember, uh, you know, this is a, an insight that someone once gave me that I found really helpful, that all of us are the sons and daughters and grandsons and granddaughters of, of the people who survived. And what I mean by that is that the human species has been around for thousands of years, a blip of time in the grander scheme of, of the earth, but we are all the a collection of adaptations, uh, the best adaptations for the last 500 generations, not the last 50 and not the last five. And for most of human history, when you really look at the length of human history, for most of it, it's been a pretty nasty existence. You know, the survival was difficult. It's only in the past few hundred years where we started to have enough extra time on our hands to start to think about, oh, am I happy or what is my purpose? For, for most of the, the time that humans have wanted the planet, our major concern has simply been not dying. And we are still the offspring of, of those adaptations, which means that for a lot of human history, Having that voice in your head that's always on the lookout for danger, that's always pointing out the negative, that's always sort of identifying threats, has actually been an evolutionary benefit. The thing is that we still have brains and bodies that react in ways that respond to a world that we no longer live in. So for most of human history, 
the biggest threat to our existence was physical. We could be killed, we could get ill, we could starve to death. And now, only in the last few hundred years, has the primary threat to our well-being become emotional and social for most of us in the Western world. The thing is, we still have brains and we still have bodies that respond to uh, the way humans used to have to live, which is that we always had to be on the lookout. We always had to be vigilant. We always sort of had to be identifying threats. And so I think what I try to tell people is when you feel as if you're being negative, when you're identifying the, 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 the dangers constantly instead of focusing on the positive, what you're doing is you're being inherently human. All right, we have evolved to always look at the negative first because the negative for a lot of human history could, was the thing that would be most dangerous. And we do not face nearly as many threats to our well-being in the Western world that we have for most of human history. The thing is, it's going to take a while for our brains to evolve out of that. So when I start to feel bad about feeling bad, I remind myself that what I am is human, and it is completely natural. What we have evolved into is the ability to recognize when that's happening and make plans to address it. So I think that those negative thoughts, instead of looking at them as a failure, I look at them as simply a part of being human. What I do then focus on is instead of trying to get rid of a part of me that's inherently human, what I try to do is I try to use the, the tools and the resources that are available to me, many of which have existed for most, have not existed for most of the people who came before me and, and still don't exist for a lot of people in this world. I use those resources to build up the positive because we do not instinctively focus on the positive. People who instinctively focused on the positive didn't survive for a lot of human history. <laughs> now, only in the last few hundred years has that been a possibility. And so... For me, I simply acknowledge that that's a part of being human, but what leadership is, is taking the time to develop these, these abilities that we also have as humans, which is to recognize the great and the good and the positive that we can do as well, and instead of trying to eliminate those negative thoughts, because they are, are bred into us, what we can do is start to focus on actively and consciously creating the positive, and, and that, to me... I, I, you know, people say, I'll only think positive. I don't think that's a great idea. Nothing is positive without, you know, having the negative to counterbalance it. Don't feel bad when you, when you feel down, when you feel negative. Just take the steps necessary to build up the positive so that you can, you can point yourself, look at the good that I do do, because our brain will not instinctively go there. We have to make ourselves think that way. Our brain will instinctively go to the negative. It's our job as leaders to shift it and, and draw in the positive. So I don't think we can eliminate the negative, and I don't... I, my life got better when I stopped beating myself up for not being able to do that. I love, love, love that what you just said about that. That is something, again, I talk about a lot on this show. It's something that I've struggled with personally and still do, but that perspective, what you gave me, that was kind of a, a learning moment for me to look at that little kind of life shift, mind shift way to look at that, and that was beautiful, Drew. I think that's a great way to look at it. It's almost like when we talk about uh, – we go through so many links and spend so much time, resources, energy, trying to eliminate fear and make things smooth where I've kind of come or morphed into or evolved into the, the mindset that, look, that fear and uncertainty is actually a good thing. It's never going to go away. Let's just embrace it and exploit it to our benefit. And that's kind of what you're saying about the negative. You're right. Our brains were conditioned over time 
uh, for survival, for we're always waiting for something bad to happen. And so it's not necessarily a bad thing to be negative for a little bit, but use that as a gift is what I'm hearing you say and turn it into to a benefit. Exploit that negativity to your benefit is what I'm hearing. Yeah, and, and it's just, it takes so long for us to evolve. And really only, like, I, I think in uh, Daniel Pink's A Whole New Mind, which is a great book, he talks about this, the fact that we, not the whole world, but those of us who are blessed to live where we live, I mean, I'm not saying that we, that, you know, we have easy lives uh, or to, to, to minimize the challenges and the struggles that so many people go through. But even the worst of us here in, in, in North America often uh, have it better off than many people in the world have, and most of, pe- of the humans who've ever walked the, work, the earth do. We, have, uh, we live in a world of abundance, and as a result, it's only because of that that we actually have time to focus on things like, what makes me happy? What is the meaning of my life? That is a, I think we have to recognize, that is a relatively new phenomenon in, in human history to, and when I say relatively new, I mean in the last, you know, thousand years. Before that, we simply didn't have the time and the abundance and, and our, our basic needs taken care of where we could turn our attention to that. And as a result, when that was the case, these negative feelings, fear and, and tension and stress, they kept us alive. And now we have to recognize that they still serve that purpose. But, we also now have the ability, the leisure, the, the technology, the, the, uh, the food and the shelter necessary to develop new skills and new human instincts. And I think that that new human instinct has to be, we also have to instinctively start asking ourselves, how can we add value? That has not been a human instinct always, I think. And I think that we can, we can add to, to the stress, to the fear, to all of those things that have kept us alive all this time, we can now add things that make us thrive. So we've got the things that have historically kept us alive. You know, fear, negativity, worry. Now we can also add the things that will help us thrive. Uh, a plan to add value, plan to add meaning, an awareness of our ability to have a positive impact on the environments around us. Those are the things that can help us thrive as well. And I think that we can embrace ourselves as full human beings when we look at that. Uh, you know, people say only live in the moment, and, and I think, no, I think that we, we need to acknowledge the moment, uh, but I also think that we can plan ahead. When people say, oh, just live in the moment and, and be, be present, I think that is important, but I think leadership comes from taking the time to plan ahead of time how you can create more positive moments to live in as well. So for me, it's not all about just, just living in the now. You have to look at the past and recognize the mistakes that you made. You have to look to the future and plan for the value you want to add. And I would argue that that's where leadership comes from, is taking time to plan for the value that you want to add. And embrace the fact that you're imperfect. I I think that um, that's a really important part of leadership. Healing is an important part of leadership, and and I think that we gloss over that sometimes. Beautiful stuff, man. I could tell you, I could talk to you talk to you about this for hours we're getting near the end of the show here i got to have you back because there's so many things i want to explore with you would you be willing to come back is is my first question to you because there's so many things oh, it'd be an absolute absolute honor my man hey as i ask all my guests as we close the show um if they had the ultimate dinner party you had a moment the night for five individuals live or dead and you could just have this awesome night of entertainment and discussion entertainment all this stuff who would those five people be Oh, wow. 
What a, a remarkable question. Um, there's a that's a that's a really difficult because I mean you immediately start to pivot towards these great minds, right? But then the odd thing is that a lot of my work says let's not just assume that these people who went down in the books of history uh, are are the ones that you want to learn from. So here's what I think I would probably do. I would ask the five people who I admire the most, not the famous ones, but the five people that have consistently made my life the best and have given the most insight to my life, I would ask each one of them to identify the person who they think taught them the most, and then I would like to have dinner with those five people. Wow. Uh, I mean, my, my, my instinct, I'd love to say, you know, I'd love to sit down with the with Robert Kennedy, and I'd love to, and I, I think that Winston Churchill would be a good guy to have some drinks with. Uh, I think Oscar Wilde would be a pretty would be a pretty fun yeah, guy to, to right. chat down with. Uh, but honestly, I talk about leadership, saying that we can't just look at it in, in in these giants that history has identified, who are also imperfect individuals, and we've we've brushed the you know we've sanded the edges off of in the name of of creating heroes. And I think that's cool because we need heroes. But I think what I do is I would, I would sit down and I would really ask who are my five best teachers, who are the ones that I turn to when I need the best insights, and I would ask each one of them to identify the person who shaped them the most, and then I would like to have, I'd like to have dinner with the people who shaped the people who most shaped me. What an odd sentence that was, but I hope it made sense. It makes perfect sense, and that's my favorite answer to date to that question. I love that. What a great concept to take to find the five people that you admire the most who've been your greatest teachers. Ask them who's been the most influence of them or who has impacted their lives the most, and invite that person to dinner. What a great! That's a great answer. Yeah. I guess maybe it's a copy. It would all. It would. It would also be fun, I think, to uh, to ask the. Uh, the the sort of key figures from each of the ma- world's major religions and sit down and be like I don't know if you guys are aware of, uh, of what's going on in the world but do you all mind just taking out some paper and clarifying a few things for us all <laughs> because we'd love to get uh, some clarification on what exactly you guys wanted from us so what, uh, it'd be nice to get a reboot on some of that too <laughs> what get Jesus Muhammad uh, Buddha and uh... Buddha yeah, just sit, sit them all down and be like, hey, hey what? guys, it's been a while since we heard directly from you. Uh, can you guys go on the Internet for a while and come back and, and clear a few uh, a few disagreements up? That would be a fun one, too. That would be awesome. Well, guys, Drew, I'm so glad I've met you. This has been an awesome conversation. Again, I, there's so much more I want to explore with you. I'd, got, I'd love to have you come back. Where can people find you and connect with you and, and learn more about you? Oh, thanks for asking that. Uh, www dot drew dudley dot com so it's d-r-e-w-d-u-d-l-e-y and there you can find some articles i've written you can find uh videos of all the various i've done the one talk that appeared on ted.com if they want to see the full version of that lollipop story but i've also done uh seven i believe other talks at other ted events that are all, can all be found on that website uh they can follow me at nuance drew on twitter and they can uh, just type in my name on Facebook, and they can find a page there as well, where once a week I ask someone in the world, if you could sit on the edge of your son or daughter's bed the last night they live under your roof, and they asked you for your single best insight, the single thing that has most led to your happiness, what would you tell them? I call it the edge of the bed advice, and you can find that on my Facebook page or on the website. Once a week I go out somewhere in the world and ask amazing people what their edge of the bed advice is. And so 
I try to share my insights, but I have a lot more fun sharing other people's. So uh, that's really worth reading. It really yeah, is. That is that is a great. I was gonna I was gonna point that out. I'm glad you brought that up. That is a great section on your website. Some great uh, insights from some of your your readers and other writers out there. Great stuff, Drew. Gosh. So thankful you came on the show. This has been a fun conversation for me. I hope you got something out of it too. Oh man, I had a blast. Thanks so much. It's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. I just I love that people are are jumping on this, trying to remind other people that we all matter. But I think leadership is not just acknowledging that you matter; it's making plans to matter. And and everyone can do that. And everyone is born with the same ability to add value. It's simply whether we seize it or not. And uh, I think that's, it's a cool way of doing it. And, and I like the fact what you're doing with the show is that you're letting other people showcase their ideas. I, I think that uh, sometimes the best way to, to shine is to reflect the light of others. Uh, just ask the moon. So. Yeah, that's right. Love that. Love that guy. Oh, Drew, so much fun to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. And all the best to you. Well, I'm definitely going to have Drew back on the show. There's so much to explore with him. He's just a fun guy. I think you can tell he's passionate about leadership. And uh, he's just uh, one of the great ones. And I love what he had to say, again, about fear and uncertainty. You know, when when I talked about in the show self-doubt and negative self-talk, and again, it's one of those things that we constantly deal with. And the more that I've especially got in the show, everybody deals with it. But I love how Drew views it as a gift. He says, look, don't try to fight it. It's never going to go away. It's ingrained in us. We were taught to survive. We were taught to doubt. We were taught to fear. And now we have the leisure, the luxury to to better ourselves, to inspire ourselves, to really thrive, as he put it. And so I really love that. So again, just let's stop beating ourselves up about the fear, the uncertainty, the self-doubt. Let's exploit that to our advantage. That's my big takeaway. Again, so I hope you enjoyed this show. I hope you're getting some value out of the show. And if you could, please go to uh, iTunes if you haven't done so and leave a rating and review. It helps so much for the visibility of the show. Do it at Stitcher too. If you have an Android device, go to Stitcher and leave a rating and review. It helps so much. And uh, again, drop me a line at richard at doseofleadership.com. Let me know where you're at in your leadership journey. And you can find out more details about my show at doseofleadership.com or richardryerson.com. You can find out more about my coaching and my speaking services and my online leadership course, Becoming a Leader, How to Punch Mediocrity in the Face. So again, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership eBook a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.